Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Creature Feature, production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today on the show we're talking about how to play with your cat. We're looking at the evolutionary history of the house cat, their wild ancestors, some murderous cousins, and the best way to entertain your overlords, or I guess the best way to entertain your pets. Discover this and more as we answer the age-old question, is Kitty daydreaming about being huge and eating you? Joining me today is cat behavioral expert, Michael Delgado. Welcome! Thank you so much, Katie. I'm so excited to talk to you about this. I grew up with cats. Uh, I'm thinking about getting a cat now. I've just got to cat-proof my apartment a little more. Um, And something about cats that I've always loved is how cryptic they are. Now, I love dogs. I think that it's amazing that we've co-evolved with dogs and we have this kind of amazing communication. But there's something so cryptic about cats and, and impish that I've always loved so how how do you, as a cat behavioral expert, understand them? Because they're so mysterious. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's definitely this idea that cats are mysterious. And I think to love cats, to work with cats, you do have to kind of accept that there will be a little bit of mystery. Um, there's always going to be that weird behavior that 
none of us can explain, even when we've been working with cats for a long time. But I do think the best way to understand cats is to interact with them and observe them carefully and um, do whatever else you can to learn about their behavior. Their, like we talked about their evolutionary history. I worked in an animal shelter for eight years. I handled thousands of cats during that time, um, observed thousands of cats, and really just spent a lot of time watching them, seeing how they reacted to things in their environment. And as you can imagine, a shelter environment has a lot of stressors. And what really piqued my interest was that cats could be so different in how they handled that environment. So some cats adjusted right away and were like, please adopt me, get me out of here, or like, oh, just make friends with me. And other cats were really frightened, um, maybe even were so frightened that they felt the need to bite or scratch or defend themselves. And so seeing just those those different responses made me even more curious. Like I have to understand cats. I've read a lot of books about cats. Um, you know, I got a PhD studying animal behavior and cognition, did research with kittens and cats um, in home environments. So it's been a lifelong process. And I think if you think you'll ever know anything about cats, you should just give up now because there will <laughs> always be something that they do that surprises you. So I just accept that there are things that I will never probably understand. But at the same time, it's a never ending quest to understand them better and make them happy. Mm -hmm. That's the most important thing is to make your cats happy. I had <laughs> I had two cats growing up speaking to how different they can be. I had a, a boy cat and a girl cat, and they were the most different you could possibly get. The The girl cat was, she was graceful, uh, an amazing huntress. This was sort of like mm. back in the days where you didn't really think about the devastation the cat is doing sure. to the poor birds. Um, but she was, uh, she she had a certain mystique about her. She loved me and let me pet her, but she also was very independent. Mm -hmm. The boy cat was completely different. He couldn't kill a fly, like literally he, he was not able to do it. He would try and fail. He was very skittish. There was nothing graceful about him. He'd be afraid of his own poop, like he'd go to the litter box, <laughs> get scared in the middle of pooping and run out. And he was just a complete goofus. And so it was, I think it was so interesting because I modeled my idea of what cats were based on my first cat, the female cat, that sure. all cats are like this. And then I have this complete doofus of a cat. I'm like, huh, okay, that's very different. And I think that's that's so interesting that they all have their own personalities. And I think it it does are all animals like this? Like maybe we just, because we're in such close proximity to cats and dogs, we're better able to like sense that they all have their own unique personalities. Or do you think it's something that's like unique to domesticated cats? No, there's actually a whole field of, of animal personality in biology that looks at, you know, everything from spiders to primates and everybody in between. So we know that you know, all animals have what, what we call personality, which is a very anthropomorphic term. But, you know, some people use terms like temperament or behavioral syndromes, which sounds like an illness, but it just <laughs> means that you have certain consistent ways of being in different circumstances. So if you're normally fearful in one situation, you might be expected to be more fearful than other animals in a different situation, right? That's like a personality trait. And you can think about, you know, certainly people are the same way. Like we know, we can reasonably expect what one of our friends might do if we um, joke with them or tease them, right? And some of your friends may, you may not be able to tease because they don't take it well. And other friends, maybe you can, you know, just endlessly, you know, just riff with them and they go with it. So 
The same is true with our pets. And I do think you touched on a very important part, which is just we have domesticated cats and dogs. We live with them. We spend a lot more time with them. So we know them much better. But at the same time, you also brought up something that I think a lot of people get stuck in, which is they base their knowledge of cats on a very small sample of cats, which is usually the one or two cats they've lived with, and think that all cats will respond to being picked up or to being petted or to being played with in the same way. And so it's really important to, to look at how cats are individuals, get to know them, give them the kind of freedom to get to know you before making assumptions about how they will respond to different interactions. Probably one of the most frequent questions you get is, uh, can you train cats? Now, I think this is because, like, you can train dogs. Dogs are typically not all dogs, uh, (laughs) typically very eager to please. We have this kind of open line of communication. Like I said, you know, we kind of co-evolve with dogs. So we are really have this kind of like amazing communication with dogs. With cats, it's a little more difficult. And so the idea of training a cat is kind of bizarre. Like we think of sort of with cats, like, no, you can't, a cat is not going to be your servant. You know, you're the cat's servant. But it's, I I think also people are very curious about that when they come across like a cat behavioral expert, like, well, can we train a cat? Can a cat walk on a leash? All these things that we think that a cat would not necessarily take to. Yes, cats can be trained. Um, It is different from training a dog in, in certain ways, because what motivates a cat is going to be a little different in many cases than what motivates a dog. And you could argue that during co-evolution and domestication of dogs, that we have selected them for um, interaction, sensitivity to human gestures, sensitivity to our mood, maybe that kind of eager to please personality that most cats are not going to have. But at the same time, all animals, including humans, learn in the same way. We, we call this Um, operant conditioning when we're doing training, which is just that certain behaviors lead to either desirable or unpleasant outcomes, and that determines whether an animal is going to repeat that behavior in the future. So yes, cats can be trained, and I think the most important thing to think about is like, why do you want to train your cat? Do you want to train them for particular things that might help you in the future, like training them to go in a cat carrier on their own, or training them to allow you to trim their nails, or um, maybe training them to sit on a mat quietly when you're eating your dinner rather than, you know, climbing on the kitchen table um, trying to steal food from you. You can also use training just to have fun with your cat. So to maybe build a better relationship and provide some mental stimulation and exercise for your cat. So that might mean training them to do cute tricks like high five or roll over, jump through a hoop. Um, But you can also kind of take it as far as you want. I mean, there's a cat circus in the United States, um, rock cats and I definitely recommend checking that show out if you have the opportunity because you really see these cats are having fun and they don't always follow the script, but they can also do some really amazing behaviors. So if you want to train your cat, um, there's definitely some good resources. We recommend using positive reinforcement training, meaning that you give your cat treats or rewards that reinforce the behavior. And um, they'll be more likely to do that later. And there's some really great resources online. But I will say it's very easy to train a cat to sit um, when you ask them to. Will they stay for a long time? It depends. You have to make it worth their while. So <laughs> you might have to provide treats occasionally to keep them in one place. But um, no, it's it's really not. The process is not different. You just have to kind of change your expectations a little bit about what that final behavior is going to look like. And, you know, I think the other reason that people have this conception that cats aren't trainable is that a lot of the things they do that allow them to coexist with us don't require training. 
You don't need to train a cat to use a litter box. It's pretty great. If you set up a litter box that they like, it's got a nice sandy soft substrate in it and you keep it clean and it's in a location they like, most cats will just gravitate towards it just automatically. You don't have to show them where it is. They figure it out. And the same is true of like scratching, right? We don't have to train them to use a scratching post. It's kind of like Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. (laughs) So give them a good scratching post. Give them several good scratching posts and put them in areas that they want to scratch. That's usually like prominent areas in your home. And they will just use it. So in that respect, I think people sometimes think, well, they just do these things. I didn't I didn't have anything to do with it. Whereas, you know, a lot of dogs, you have to like ask them to go lay in their bed or whatever. So, <laughs> um, so I think that kind of contributes to it. But the reality is it's more the human motivation to train. And I think that maybe cat owners are not as interested in controlling every aspect of their cat's behavior. Maybe they even appreciate that their cat is a little wild, right? We know they're less um, domesticated compared to dogs as far as the impact we've had on changing their behavior and their appearance. So I think some people appreciate it. So I think, you know, training, like I said, can be very practical. Train them to go into their carrier when you ask. Train them to let you groom them. Train them to take a pill. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, for some people, it is really fun to do the more you know, agility trials or more parlor tricks. I mean, as someone who's both a cat lover and a dog lover, I cannot choose between the two. I think they're both wonderful <laughs> pets. Uh, I I have always appreciated the difference in terms of the evolutionary history of cats and dogs. Dogs have this incredible co-evolution that we've had where, you know, even though we feel like, oh, we're the ones selectively breeding dogs, in a way, the wolves also uh, were kind of self-selecting. They mm-hmm. kind of wormed their way into our hearts by uh, being a little bolder, a little more gentle. With cats, I think what I appreciate about them is they didn't really have to change all that much to fit into our society. So we kind of engaged in this partnership with cats where it's like, well, we've got grain, uh, which draws mice. You guys eat the mice and otherwise are pretty pretty relaxed. You're not dangerous. Uh, maybe we'll leave out some fish and milk for you. Don't, don't feed your cats milk, but in the past, people have done that. Um, and, you know, just kind of like this interesting partnership. They'd be on ships and eat our rats. And they were, you know, very, very useful to us in terms of keeping pests and even disease at bay. And they didn't have to change that much. They are relatively, I mean, they are different. Uh, There is a little bit of domestication, as we'll talk about in just a bit. But uh, yeah, with dogs, it had, they had to go through a lot of changes to make them (laughs) safe for humans. Because if you try, even if you tame a wolf, it is still dangerous and it is not going to be a good pet. Yeah. And the the chances of being killed by a cat are pretty small. They're (laughs) they're much less threatening. Um, They're cute. I mean, what? Yes, of course. I think there's lots lots of appeal there. There's um, a new understanding, I think, when it comes to cats, that keeping cats indoors is more humane, both for wildlife, all the Uh, potentially endangered birds in your area, and also for your cat. You know, it protects them from cars, from coyotes, other predators, Um, which, you know, as I mentioned, when I was a kid, there was more of this idea that you just let your cat outside and what happens, happens. But now I think we're, for the better, changing our view of that, that, you know, we should be both protecting the environment and our our cat's well-being. 
But I think a lot of people worry, like, well, isn't my cat going to be bored uh, being inside all the time? Uh, is it possible to keep a cat from being bored? Is it possible to create a fun environment indoors? It is, absolutely, but it requires some effort. So I think, you know, it's interesting. People do think like, oh, cats just go outside and they amuse themselves all day. Or the opposite is people will say like, oh, well, they're a low-maintenance pet, so they can just sit inside all day with like nothing to do. And neither is quite true. So I think, you know, we are increasingly recognizing that caring for a cat is not just throwing some food into a bowl and scooping the litter box every now and then. Like we kind of think of those things as essential, right? Like you got to feed your cat. You've got to keep the litter box clean. You should take them to the vet once a year. Like, and that's kind of where the conversation ends. And what we really need to be thinking about is their emotional needs for social interaction, their um, needs for um, activity, mental stimulation, what we sometimes refer to as enrichment. And I think the only thing about the term enrichment is that it implies that this, it's like a bonus, right? It's not a necessity. And so now we really focus on calling um, those those provisions for a cat's mental um, well-being in, in environmental necessities. So that would include ways for them to express natural behaviors like climbing and scratching and hiding, ways for them to express predatory behaviors. So inside our home, your cat can't um, catch maybe more than the occasional fly or, you know, other insect that might crawl into your home. They are not going to be catching birds and mice. So we have the opportunity to give them those um, outlets for predatory behavior through playtime with interactive toys. We can appeal to all of their senses and make sure they have um, things that are, you know, activate their scent interests and that stimulate maybe sounds that cats like. Um, things to watch. One of my cats really loves videos of mice. So um, <laughs> just think about different ways to um, incorporate activities into their daily life that allow them to be a cat. Um, you can also, I mean, you mentioned this in the training part, like you can train your cat to walk on a harness and lead and take them out in your backyard or somewhere close to home that's safe and relatively quiet, not going to run into dogs or anything scary. Um, we have a catio at my house. So we we did make the investment in building a pretty big catio about a year ago. And that was a definite game changer for our cats. They love just sitting out in the sun, watching. We have a bird feeder in the backyard and they can spend a lot of time out there just watching whatever is happening. Squirrels, birds, other cats, etc. Um, so the main thing, though, is is you have to put effort into figuring out what your cat likes, um, what they respond to and trying new things like don't do the same boring things every day, but introduce some novelty and um, really think of it as, again, as important as feeding them. Yeah, I think that's so interesting because, uh, you know, this is something that is maybe more apparent when you own a dog, like your dog will get bored and they will let you know uh, loudly <laughs> and shrilly sure. and over and over sure. again. Whereas with a cat, I don't know that they are as, I mean, some of them are. Uh, one of my, yeah. my cat, uh, Binky, growing up would li definitely let me know if he was bored. But, uh, you know, sometimes they, they maybe don't show it as much. Maybe they just yeah. sort of nap a lot more. But, you yes. know, we think that that's normal for them to to nap all the time. And yeah. But really, you know, uh, they do need that mental stimulation. Just, you know, they need... They need soup for their soul just their as much as they need soup for eating. They don't actually, I know they don't eat soup. They would if, if we <laughs> let them. Would, but <laughs> if it was the right flavor. I mean, it, no, it's a really important point because I think a lot of cats do end up 
what we would consider like depressed, withdrawn, um, really becoming um, more focused on food. So then we have more overweight and obesity in our pet cats. And probably a lot of that is emotional overeating from boredom and stress. So it is really important to, um, to create a fun environment for your cats. To me, I enjoy like bringing in a new cardboard box and putting some tissue paper in it and seeing what my cats are going to do. It's free television. Um, it is. I mean, it's it's fun for me. It's fun for them. And so I, I really encourage people to kind of find the joy in making your cat happy, kind of like I said at the beginning, right? It's all about making your cat happy. So like, <laughs> find what they love, if it's catnip or, um, you know, a, a feather wand or both. All of, you know, do something different every day. Do training. Like there's there's lots of ways you can add to your cat's life and enhance your relationship. And I think that is going to be entertaining for you as well. Uh, there's there's nothing more fun than a cat in a box. I mean, you know, we spend so much time on the internet looking at videos of cats. You can have that in real life right in front of you. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> well, we're going to take a real quick break, but when we get back, we're going to delve into the past of our domesticated cats and see how that has influenced their behavior, especially when it comes to play. So we will be right back. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. So we are back and I am here with Michael Delgado and we are talking about cats, how to play with them, what makes them tick. And I thought we would delve into the past lives of cats. So 
cats did not just suddenly rain down from the sky and into our laps. They were domesticated in in a similar way to dogs, but also in a way that is a, a bit different because they didn't really change all that much. And this is what is maybe the most surprising things about their ancestors. So the African wildcat Felis libica is a small gray and white wildcat with dark and sandy stripes. And it really looks basically like, like a, a house cat. cat. Yeah, yeah, it is very hard to tell the difference, especially when it's like sitting down and you look at it and it's like, mm-hmm. this just looks like a run-of-the-mill cat. It, it looks kind of like um, one of my, that that cat Binky I had growing up, you know, it's like- <laughs> I, I love that name. <laughs> it was, it, it fit his personality. He was- He was uh, something else. Uh, But yeah, they are found in Africa and Central and Western Asia. And they are the ancestors of modern domesticated kitties. Uh, Yes. And the start of domestication, now correct me if uh, anything, any of this sounds wrong, but I think it was around 10,000 years ago. the best estimate we have. Yeah, we yeah. don't we don't know exactly. It's uh, it's always tricky to trace these back, and there were probably m- potentially multiple domestication events. So again, yes. it's kind of hard to find the one definitive domestication event. Um, there, some of the evidence is something like on the island of Cyprus, there's a grave uh, where an African wildcat is buried, not too far from a human. So this is evidence that this was a beloved cat, a beloved pet. And was buried with with a human, maybe its owner, maybe another member of the family. So this idea that we had started to make this personal emotional connection to cats, uh, you know, at at the very least around nine thousand years ago. Yes, yeah. And if we could get that time machine working right, then we could go back and, <laughs> and see the details. But yeah, exactly. All all of today's cats are considered ancestors of the African wild cat, who's still. In existence. Yeah, they're still around. And in terms of looks, it's really hard to tell the difference. Uh, some of the, the subtle differences are like the wild cats tend to have longer legs. They're a little bit, a little taller, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, might call them lanky. A right? little lankier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. A little sleeker. It's a very subtle difference that's hard to see until you kind of are told that that's what's going on. But in terms of genetically, they are very similar. In fact, yeah. they, they can still they can still mate and produce viable offspring. Yeah, and that's another reason to keep your cats indoors if you happen to live in regions where there are um, some of these wildcat species, like the Scottish wildcat, um, because actually feral cats are interfering with um, some of these species and keeping them intact and um, in survival. Right. So. So yeah, it's, it's a they're very closely related. There are some changes that happen during domestication. So we know um, there are some genetic signatures that changed and certain things in the brain that changed, um, specifically regions of the brain that have been related to um, reward centers and memory. So perhaps that gave cats a nudge in being able to make positive associations with humans because they had better memories and more intense reward responses. So hey, this human's leaving me some some delicious food. Um, maybe I'll give them another try tomorrow and maybe I'll get a little closer, right? So that might have just been enough of a a nudge over the past, you know, several thousand years to the point where now they're like sleeping on our pillow. That is so interesting. I I can definitely see that being behind the cat's kind of uh, change in their attitude towards us where it's like this, this idea that 
you know, actually, maybe it's worth it to stick around these weird, tall things that walk on two legs. <laughs> and those cats would have been um, the ones that were, you know, willing to take advantage of those resources, like extra food would have been more successful in reproduction. So, you know, I think um, you touched on kind of the the whole grains and the mice and, um, you know, what, what actually was happening is um, what was called a commensal relationship, which is that the cats benefited more than the humans did because humans already had other species to take care of the rodents. So there are plenty of dogs that will take care of rodents and also weasels. So cats were like another species that can provide us pest control. But, you know, the thinking now is that the cats benefited a little bit more than the humans did. Um, but you also touched on the fact that, you know, we haven't really imposed many behavioral changes on cats, certainly not like we did with dogs, where we had dogs kind of drift into different categories of, well, this dog is a good at pointing and this dog is good at guarding or this dog's good with livestock and with cats it's just like okay they hunt that works out for us works out for them we never asked them to change that behavior and so thousands of years later they're still a very efficient predator it's still very much part of their nature and instinct and we have not put any pressure on them to become less of a hunter even though we provide all their food for them if they're living indoors with us so it's pretty cool how we've retained that little bit of wildness and really haven't done too much to them behaviorally. Now, there's certainly, you know, our domestic cats have a little more social flexibility as far as tolerance of other cats, whereas the African wildcat is a little bit more of a solitary hunter, um, less likely to congregate in groups like we see with, with domestic cats. Um, but we also know that that congregation in domestic cats is usually highly dependent on things like the amount of resources in the environment and their early socialization around other cats. Yeah, like when there's a high density of resources, cats will tolerate each other more. Uh, even feral populations of domesticated cats will sometimes form these colonies where they're tolerant of each other as long as resources are concentrated in, in high abundance. Whereas you don't really see that with the African wildcats at all. No, and it's a and it's a good point if you, you know, a lot of people with cats want to have multiple cats, right? So one way to increase the chance of harmony in your home is to make sure you have lots of resources, separate feeding areas, lots of litter boxes, lots of scratching and climbing opportunities in separate areas so the cats can kind of choose to share or choose to not share. <laughs> yes, I I can really sympathize with that attitude, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, it's, it is interesting so that those hunting behaviors that the African wildcats have and uh, some of their other general behaviors are still exhibited by our domesticated cats, the stalking and hunting, pouncing, mm -hmm. puffing up when they're frightened to try to mm -hmm. appear bigger, hissing yeah. at threats, purring. And meowing, but the meowing has become quite a bit different, right? Yeah, meowing is is primarily, in adult cats, primarily directed at humans. So we believe that there's kind of a learned uh, communication style between people that may be actually unique to that relationship even. But yeah, um, that's, that's something that kittens do to moms. So there's kind of this implied like meowing gets you attention, mm -hmm. gets you caretaking. It sure does. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> and cats who have learned to live around humans seem to, to do more of it. So they've probably learned how to get our attention, get that door open, get the food in the bowl, whatever yep. they want. Yeah, they have us wrapped around their little paw uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, African wildcats don't really meow at humans. Their meows seem to be, like you said, like when they're kittens directed at mm -hmm. their mother, or even if they're adults and they're meowing at something, it's usually something in their environment. And we don't really have great data that I know of, maybe maybe you know more, but great data on 
why and when they meow, but it certainly is not directed at humans. Uh, whereas with domesticated cats, it is very much, uh, we are the audience for their meows. And uh, there has actually been research on how we perceive the difference between the meows of domesticated cats and African wild cats. Yes. And in these blind hearing tests, people rate the meow of the domesticated cats as sounding sweeter, nicer, more pleasant versus the African wildcat meow, which they are not is not quite as appealing. So that may lead some evidence towards this theory that they have tailored their meows to tug at our heartstrings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and what's even um, even taking that even a step further is that there's similar research looking at purring of cats. Now they didn't compare different species, but what they they did look at is um, different uh, intensities of purr. So a cat who was purring because they wanted food versus just purring because they were being petted and Humans, when they didn't know which purr they were listening to, could identify that there was something qualitatively different about the demanding purr. Um, <laughs> and so we we are very sensitive to um, their moods and they probably, you know, they get reinforced for that um, kind of additional intense purr by, you know, getting what they want again. So there's there's this really neat kind of interaction between humans and cats. And we've probably changed some of our communication styles to adapt to them too, right? Like a lot of us, when we're talking to our pets, raise the tone of mm -hmm. our voice. Um, we know that most companion animals respond better to that kind of kitty kitty or, mm -hmm. you know, um, whatever cute voice you use when you're talking to your cat. So um, so we we do it too. Yeah, maybe. Is that why, like, I turn into a complete doofus when I'm talking to a dog <laughs> or a cat? I'm like, you're yeah. a little kitty, well, aren't you? Boy. You're a little kitty cat. <laughs> Just like saying the most obvious things. Oh, like, yeah. these are your paws. And they're like, I know. I know these are my paws. You don't need to tell me that. These are your little tootsie paws. <laughs> Guilty as charged as well. Yes, it just, you can't help it. Lest we forget that the African wild cats are different from our domesticated cats, even though they typically uh, hunt small prey like mice, rats, you know, small reptiles, they can take down larger prey. So they can on occasion like take down a baby antelope, which may sound kind of shocking, but given that they're not that much bigger than a domesticated cat. In fact, sometimes they're smaller depending on the breed of domesticated cat. Uh, but they are they are a little bit more uh, ferocious than sure. our domesticated cats. Well, they have to be, right? They don't have a food bowl. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so even though they look very much, very, very similar and genetically are uh, pretty similar, it's just those few changes, the ones that you mentioned that have... Uh, brought us these these lovely little lap cats who will purr and sit with us whereas if you tried to do that with an african wild cat even if it was tamed they would not probably have the patience for that not the best idea no uh <laughs> so i have a question for you which is whether you think like the play behaviors we see in our house cats reflects the more wild behaviors of these african wild cats these this sort of more you know, it's almost like it seems like these softened versions of this like aggressive hunting behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So play and hunting have a lot of the same mechanisms and, and underlying like um, basically causes. Right. So we know that hunger is a trigger for hunting in cats. We know that hunger actually makes cats play more. Um, <laughs> we know that cats who are hunting are sensitive to the size of prey and that can be also influenced by their hunger. And we see that in play with toys. 
cats use a lot of the same behaviors with toys that they would use when they were hunting. So, you know, the clutch bite, the clutching and the neck bite and the bunny kicking, mm-hmm. the leaping and batting the the toy around, um, we see those behaviors when cats are hunting. So there's so much overlap that I think we can safely assume that when cats exhibit those behaviors toward a toy, they are directing hunting behavior towards a toy. We call it play. Um, it's fun. It's probably fun for the cat too. And play kind of implies fun. And um, yeah, it's even when you look at kind of the definitions of, of play behavior in animals, it's usually um, a less serious version of a normal behavior like hunting or mating or fighting right so play implies that there's um that it's often them practicing for a more practical behavior um in some cases they may never need to use that practical behavior right our cats if they're spayed and neutered are never going to mate um hopefully they're not going to fight hopefully they're not hunting (laughs) but they still have those instincts and so play is very much an outlet for that hunting instinct and the better we do at replicating prey when we move toys or when we select toys then the more likely your cat is going to engage in those behaviors that resemble hunting so picking a toy that looks like a bird that moves like a mouse that moves like a bug one thing i hear from a lot of cat owners is like oh we have toys all over the floor he won't play with any of them well those toys are like dead mice yeah they're not moving (laughs) they're not moving around so you're it's kind of like i always bring up this example because i was an only child so i spent a lot of time like playing monopoly against myself right (laughs) it was like when your cat has to move the toy and then chase it it's like they're playing a board game by themselves right so it's much more fun for them if we move the toy um maybe they know we're moving the toy maybe they don't maybe they're just getting lost in the experience and their instincts kick in like that might be something i can eat I better chase it and try to kill it <laughs> just in case. Um, and, you know, maybe at some point they figure, oh, this isn't a real mouse. Like, I'm done. But yeah. um, for many cats, they'll play, especially young cats, they'll play for a very long period of time chasing that bird feather thing around or chasing that cat dancer around. So really the best thing to do is kind of focus on becoming the prey, you know, like <laughs> acting like a bird, acting like a mouse would, would act and um, think about, how you can get those hunting behaviors out of your cat, right? The butt wiggle, the stalking, the pouncing, the leaping in the air. All of those behaviors are going to depend on your cat, their age, their health, their um, what they're used to playing with. But most cats, you can at least get some of those hunting behaviors out of if you take the time to move the toy correctly and find toys they like. Yeah, I... I... Feel like you can spend money on the fanciest looking toy, but if you take like a piece of string, tie it to a wad of paper, and then pull it through like a tube of toilet paper, that's yep. going to be an amazing, incredible experience for your cat. Yeah, I do a lot of my cats do get bored of their toys pretty quickly. So we do a lot of rotation, even within a play session in a half hour, we might go through four or five different toys. My cats have been really into green beans right now. So I tie a green bean to a string and drag it around. They love it. And they toss the green bean around. I mean, it's like sometimes you just have to look in your recycling bin. Um, The main thing is just making sure it's safe for your cat to play with. And any type of interactive toy with a string or a wire, you want to put it away so your cat can't use it when you're not supervising because we don't want anybody choking or um, (laughs) swallowing something. But, um, But yeah, I mean, you know, there's lots of things around your house, like a small piece of fabric, a ball of paper um you know a a twist tie from you know a a package like any of those things can be turned into a temporary toy 
Uh, I was, uh, we were babysitting my sister-in-law's cat, and uh, she found a ping pong ball, probably from the previous tenant, uh, because we we have no recollection of where this ping pong ball came from. And so that, that was quite an experience for her, just the the amazing bounciness of it. There was actually, so the late 70s and early 80s, there was there were a lot of studies of kitten play. And there was actually a study looking at different toys. And, and the ping pong ball was one of the favorites. Wow. Kittens. So, yeah. I'm just, forks too. I'm just so impressed that she managed to, like, locate this pink, this, uh, I mean, How this ping pong ball there? was probably from the 70s, too. Maybe this was used <laughs> in one of those studies. And she found it and made it her own and, like, carried it around with her, brought it back into her bed. It's it's. They will, they'll let you know what toy they like. <laughs> and it's true. you just it's true. defer to their wishes, I think, is the lesson here. Yes. So we're going to take another quick break. But when we get back, we're going to talk about not an ancestor of the domesticated cat, but a cousin and how this murderous wild little kitty might inform us about our own cat's behaviors in terms of how to keep something that just loves to murder occupied. (laughs) Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. So we've talked about the African wild cat, the ancestor of domesticated cats. And now we're going to talk about a cat that is related, but it is not an ancestor. 
Um, although when you look at it, it looks like an adorable smaller version of the domesticated cats. It's one of my favorite wild cats, the black-footed cat. So cute. They are adorable. The, one of the cutest wild cats, very small. And, uh, it's one of the smallest wild cats, I think. Uh, I believe so. And it is also the most murderous <laughs> of the cats. <laughs> Uh, although it may not be dragging down antelope, it has an amazing kill rate, like a 60% kill success rate, which is mm -hmm. very impressive. They're about a third of the size of a house cat. Uh, very, very cute. They're tan with these dark brown spots and stripes. And they like, you know, their name implies they have these little black socks on their feet. Uh, but that Cuteness is a little bit deceptive. They are extremely ferocious. They are sometimes called anthill tigers because they are so fierce and they do not like humans. So if you think you can go up to one of these and pet them, you are not going to come away satisfied with that experience. <laughs> or with intact hands. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yes. They are mostly nocturnal. They will walk incredible distances. So they can walk up to 20 miles or 32 kilometers a night, which is, I mean, like in terms of humans, that would be like walking 25 marathons a night, which is completely bonkers. Yeah. So they, during all this walking, they basically slaughter everything in their path <laughs> from insects to rodents to birds plucked up right as they're taking off. Their M.O. is ambush, stalking, and pouncing, just like mm -hmm. your domesticated cat. They do that little butt wiggle, and that butt wiggle is not just to look adorable right before they murder <laughs> something. That is aligning their feet so that their pounce will be really effective and precise. They can kill 15 prey animals a night, which, is, which makes them probably the most successful serial killers uh, in the history of the world. That's about a kill per hour. So sometimes they love killing so much they will murder something that is larger than themselves, like cape hares, which they can't even really eat in one mm -hmm. sitting. So they'll drag them back and kind of nibble at them over many nights. But they are just such enthusiastic killers. They sometimes kill and then are like, I don't know what to do with this thing. <laughs> But the fact that they are so active, walk that incredible amount, kill so rapidly means that uh, if we tried to keep one of these as a pet, not only would your face be gone, <laughs> but <laughs> this cat would be so, so bored. They would make terrible sure. pets, but they are sometimes kept in zoos and this presents a problem for the ethical zoo that wants to keep them for conservation, but does not want to... Uh, have them in basically cat prison. And so zookeepers are constantly trying to figure out ways to help keep them mentally healthy as well as physically healthy. And there was a study uh, that researched aromatherapy for black-footed cats. And so <laughs> they offered these smelly smells to these black-footed cats like nutmeg, catnip, and prey smells. And they found that for the cats that were given this aromatherapy, they were far more active than the cats who were not given this treatment. So is this something that also works for domesticated cats? 
what a fantastic study. Um, <laughs> and you brought up a lot of, I mean, a lot of similarities among, you know, and I think when you look at all of the cat species, you do see these commonalities in their predatory behavior. And to survive, um, our domestic cats, if they were outside, would have to kill eight to 10 mice a day to survive. Mm-hmm. And studies have shown that um, cats who were observed hunting did have about a 50% kill rate. So nice. um, I've heard I've heard lower estimates. So it could be very population dependent. And cats will also hunt even though they're not hungry or they'll hunt even though they have a mouse in their mouth, right? Because... <laughs> Really, again, getting back to their instincts, if you don't know where your next meal is coming from, you've got to catch while catch can, right? So they just will take advantage of of prey that's available. And I think sometimes it's hard for us to kind of see our cats as a as a predator. Um, if you've, I had the misfortune of living in an apartment that had a mouse problem once, and um, you know one of our cats was pretty ruthless. <laughs> it always kind of made me sad. I think rodents are adorable. I don't yeah. really want to live with them, but I, I do appreciate them. So it can be kind of hard to recognize that our cats are are killers. But um, to the question of the olfactory enrichment, I mean, I love the idea. And, you know, we're so visual that I think we kind of get stuck in like visual enrichment and forget that for cats, their sense of smell is much better than ours. They use their smell in many different ways than we do, including to communicate with other cats. So um, one of the behaviors that's very similar to their ancestors is, you know, doing things like urine marking and rubbing and marking their territory with their claws. Like those are things that are very important to our cats. As far as enrichment and smells that cats enjoy, every cat's different, but there are plenty of safe smells that you can introduce to your cat for enrichment. Like you mentioned catnip, and there's also a plant called matatabi. Um, it's also known as silver vine. Mm. And there's been research showing that more cats respond to silver vine than catnip. Oh, interesting. And the response is very similar. So you get the rolling, the rubbing, <laughs> the licking. Some cats get a little excited. Some cats get a little mellow. So you kind of have to learn, you know, what your cat does when they're under the influence of catnip or silver vine. But those are very fun enrichments. So now there's a lot more toys that have silver vine. A lot of cats respond well to honeysuckle valerian root so those are considered generally safe and then there's some other things like i mean i occasionally like to bring a leaf into the house (laughs) and just let my cats kind of sniff it and play with it there's food things that are safe for your cat to smell or play with like the green bean (laughs) one of my cats really loves to play with potatoes so you know i do think that one of the key environmental considerations is your cat's sense of smell so not just things they want to smell or interact with but also smells they may not like Mm -hmm. so Things like incense or like plugins that are meant to deodorize. A lot of those smells are very intense. They're artificial. And that can be very stressful to our mm. cats because it covers the smells they're interested in, which is the, the smells they deposit when they're scratching something or rubbing on it. And so we're trying to like, often it's trying to cover the litter box smell, right? The best way to keep your litter box smelling fresh is to scoop it and yeah. clean it regularly yeah. <laughs> rather than... Um, let it get very dirty and just put a, a deodorizer nearby, hoping that that will mask the smell. There have been advances um, in t- litter box technology. Like sure. uh, there are these bins now that you can get that kind of like seal. So like you can mm-hmm. scoop the litter box. Yes. And instead of because, you know, I think one of the it's things. Like a, the litter genie. Yeah. The litter genie. It's exactly. Like, it's like a diaper genie. That, like, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so you can just like scoop it, dump it right in there. So you're not constantly yep. having to take it, the trash out, you know, twice a day. But then it seals so you can't smell it. And then when it yep. gets full, you just take the whole thing out, which is, uh, you know, since I haven't had a cat in like, you know, 10 years, it's like, wow, this is an amazing. <laughs> there have been Things amazing have advancements in litter technologies. <laughs> yeah. So you do not. 
Uh, You do not need to use uh, like Febreze to cover the cat smell. You can just, and it's also, that's better for the cat too, because they like a clean litter box. They don't want to, they don't want to step on their own poopy any more than you want to smell their poopies. Exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah, I always encourage people to try different smells, you know, like I said, both ones that are kind of designed for cats and things that, you know, usually natural things that you can bring in from the outside. I mean, I know when I go outside and I come in, my cats always want to smell my shoes. Um, Oh, my cat. Yeah. Yeah. Right. My cat mittens, the female one uh, who was all elegance that would disappear when there was a pair of shoes. She would shove (laughs) her face inside the shoe and just huff deeply and that she loved nothing more than the shoe smell. Yeah. yeah. So, so you know, a lot of times cats will let you know the smells that interest them. But you know, I'll let my cats smell my cup of tea, and mm-hmm. uh, maybe let them smell my food. You know, they're they're pretty well behaved. So, and I'm a vegetarian, so there's nothing that they want to eat. But sometimes they just want to kind of check yeah, out. Check things. it out. So, um, so yeah, they do have this incredible sense of smell. And the other thing too, like about prey smells, which is a really interesting question. Um, I know that my cats love the real rabbit fur toys which mm. it kind of like breaks my heart a little bit but it's they respond differently than any other kind of faux fur toy so um there are places online where you can get like ethically farmed rabbit fur so dr kristen vitale did a study looking at cats interest in different in, um, activities and one of them was i think they used gerbil scent mm. as um one choice and then they could either sniff the gerbil scent or play with a toy or interact with a human. And overall, they did prefer the human interactions over the gerbil scent, um, if I'm remembering correctly. But and yeah, I don't know where people get gerbil scent. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Just rub um, a gerbil against a cotton ball. I don't really recommend, you know, keeping small animals in your home if you have cats, uh, because it can be stressful for the rats to live with a predator in the same house. So um, but maybe you have a friend with a pet rat or a pet gerbil and yeah, get some cotton balls can i rub, rub, can I rub your rat just for a minute it's like exactly. I, I, i'm just i just need a cotton ball. just need to borrow your rat and rub it just for a minute yeah Q-tip. Q-tip <laughs> would work so um so yeah I, I mean i think people can get creative um stick to non-toxic safe things and like i said there's there's things we know that most cats like that's silver vine catnip valerian and honeysuckle so those are those are all available in products for cats and I should mention, because I do say aromatherapy, but aromatherapy for cats is going to be very different from humans. There are actually certain, like, like if you're thinking, you know, giving essential oils to your cat, mm. do not, Mm-mm. because there yeah. are actually essential oils that are quite toxic to cats, right? Yes. Yep. So you just want to be careful getting to, and then, you know, on a lot of those um, oils are, the smell is very strong. And if it's yeah. strong to us, um, then it's to them. I'm one of those people that doesn't like heavy scent, so I get a headache. You I know, feel that, yeah. You know, and I walk into like a cloud of incense. So I, I yeah. am probably more sensitive, but other people, you know, it's like they've got the air fresheners everywhere and I'm always like, Whew. Yeah, like, I, <laughs> I sneeze constant. Like when I go to a yeah. mall and walk past like the perfume counter, it's just, I can't, I can't function. I start sneezing, crawling but you on did the floor. Bring up perfume. <laughs> and there have been studies showing that um, some felid species, I know, like, I think it's lions or maybe tigers, love obsession, Calvin Klein. So, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think it's been how did, used in this. How did they find that cats. out? Someone I'm wore guessing, perfume like, a around keeper, it. <laughs> right? Like, started yeah, getting hit on by a lion. <laughs> yeah, I need to, I need to, like, that's been a factoid sitting in my brain for a long time that I probably need to go and, like, do a little more deep of a dive. But I know that there was a study looking at different olfactory um, responses in cats, and I'm pretty sure they used um, Calvin Klein Obsession. So Amazing. Uh, 
Yeah. So your cat might like your perfume, but that doesn't mean you want to spray it all over them, right? Like, no. you know, a, a little dab will do you. <laughs> like their sense of smell is much better than ours. So you don't have to feel like, oh, it has to be this like really powerful scent for them to have um, a response. Yeah. No, they they are quite sensitive. Well, uh, I feel like I have learned much more about cats talking to you. I uh, like I said, I'm thinking about getting a cat. I got to make sure the apartment is safe. Uh, if you have any tips on how to make uh, try to keep cats from scratching furniture, that would mm. <laughs> be much appreciated. Yeah. I assume, quick, I assume my... leaving out lots of scratching posts, maybe putting some uh, material over the couch that they're not going to want to scratch. But other than that, exactly. I don't really know what <laughs> what to do. Lots of lots of treats when they use the scratching posts. I mean, I'd say the big thing is is having a few choices of scratching like some cats like to scratch vertically like upright and other cats like to scratch horizontally like those you know cardboard pads or whatever and so giving them some choices making sure they're prominent and giving them lots of treats when they do scratch appropriately and then yeah usually if they are still trying to scratch the furniture you can um, like put a sheet over it temporarily until they are directed towards the things you want them to be scratching keep their nails trimmed um so that's where the training can come in handy, mm-hmm. um, you know, positive reinforcement training and, again, lots of treats, um, patience. And, um, you know, to be honest, like, we have a lot of scratching posts and cat trees in my house. Um, we got a new couch. The cats do not touch the couch. They're not mm. interested. They Like, it's not even, like, they have so many other better options that I don't even think they see it as something to scratch. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I think that if you, again, if you provide them with something that they like and give them rewards for for using it then a lot of times they're just like not really interested maybe i'll get a gerbil and rub it against a scratching post (laughs) so before we go there's a game i always play at the end of the podcast which is guess who's squawking it's the mystery animal sound game so every week i play mystery animal sound and you the listener and you the guest if you'd like to try to guess who is squawking it doesn't have to be a bird. It could be any animal. It can be incredibly difficult. I always like to preface it by saying that I would lose this game most of the time. So there is no pressure <laughs> to get this right. Um, so uh, this one especially... Now this is... I think this is unfair to you because this one I gave a very specific hint that is based on reading an article because otherwise mm. there is no way you're going to get it. I'll still play it for you, and if you want to take a stab in the dark, uh, you can give it a shot. I'm definitely curious. So So, uh, last week's hint was, it's actually good that these guys have an inflated sense of pride, and if you read Ferris Jaber's article, How Beauty is Making Scientists Rethink Evolution, you're sure to find the answer. So I'm realizing now as I'm reading this, this is extremely unfair to you, but you know, It'll be a challenge. (laughs) I'm game. I'm not afraid to lose. (laughs) All right. So, Michael, do you have any guesses? I love the sound. I have no idea. I'm just going to go with a frog. (gasps) You are correct that it is a frog. So you nailed it. I'll tell you the specific kind of frog. Now, uh, this is the male Tungara frog, which is a little semi-terrestrial frog whose calls are highly attractive to both females of their own species as well as to frog-eating bats. So this is uh, a 
an example of an evolutionary trade-off. So uh, even though it does put them a little more in danger, exposes them to predation, the females love it so much that that sexual selection outweighs the danger of predation. And so this is a, a wonderful example of how sexual selection in nature can be so powerful, it can cause males to do very dumb things that are dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But that's amazing. You guessed correctly. Uh, I am super impressed. <laughs> you should definitely check out videos of these guys. I'll include a link in the show notes. But they have these large inflatable throat sacks. And it's really oh. funny to watch because if you've ever like kind of with like a limp balloon, like pushed air from one side of the balloon out to the other, it's kind of what they look like because they oh, fill their, their bodies up with air and then push it into their throat sacks and then kind of back and forth. And it's... It's very cute oh, and these, funny. These male animals, the things <laughs> they do. Congratulations to Joey P, who wrote in and guessed correctly. Remember, if you have a guess, you can write to me at creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com. So, on to this week's mystery animal sound. Uh, the hint is there's nothing deadly or sinful about this cutie. Ah! So, uh, I'm going to be honest, I didn't know that this is what these sounded like until I looked looked it up online. Do you have any guesses? And I don't blame you if you don't. Um, I'm, uh, I guess a wild guess would be a monkey. Interesting guess. Uh, well, I'm going to have to leave you on a cliffhanger because the answer to this question is going to be revealed on next week's episode of Creature Feature. But you can rest on your laurels for guessing that, that uh, the previous sound was a frog. Very cool. Michael, thank you so much for joining me and answering all my questions about cats. I hope everyone out there who has a cat or who wants a cat learned a little bit about how to please your cat, how to make your cat happy, the most important question to answer. Uh, where can people find more stuff from you? Yeah, um, I have a blog, um, which is whatyourcatwants.com. So that's, you can get in touch with me there. I've got, you know, a contact form. Um, I've got lots of articles, mostly reviewing scientific papers about cats and translating that science so that people can better understand how research applies to their own little tiger in their bed um so um yeah i really enjoy science communication so that's um, a good way to find me and thank you so much for having me i had a lot of fun absolutely thank you so much for coming on uh, and if you're enjoying the show and you want to leave a rating or review uh that would make this cat happy you can't see but i'm pointing to myself uh it maybe it'd make your cat happy as well because it'd be like wow yeah it's great of you that you left those reviews uh or most likely your cat doesn't care whether i get reviews but <laughs> It helps me out, so I appreciate that. And uh, thanks so much to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Exolumina. Creature Features, a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or hey, guess what? Wherever you listen to your favorite shows, I don't judge you. Your cat judges you a little bit, but me, I don't. See you next Wednesday. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? 
because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.